1: Today is a day of remembrance. Dia de los Muertos, the day of the dead. It's a time to honor the lives of those we've lost, to temporarily invite their souls back to the world of the living so we can express our love and gratitude. This celebration has its roots in Aztec and Mesoamerican culture and is observed all over the world. Later this hour, we'll explore Dia de los Muertos and how it's celebrated here in Nashville. But first, it's officially November, people, and that means the election is just one week away. A lot of attention has been focused on which party takes control of Congress. That's even true here in Tennessee. Fewer people have given much thought to the state legislature, though. And while it's not much of a chance Republicans will lose their supermajority, many voters will probably see some unfamiliar names on their ballots. Here to bring us up to date with what's happening in the state and Senate House races are WPLN editors, Julia Ritchie and Chaz Sisk. Thanks so much for being here, guys.
0: Thanks for having us.
1: Hi, Khalil. It's awesome. Okay, so let's start with you, Julia. You say, you know, one of the more interesting races in Tennessee this year is just north of Nashville and Montgomery County. That's where Democrat Jason Hodges has been a state rep. Tell us about the two people who want to replace him and why that race might be close.
0: Right. So Representative Jason Hodges is a Democrat. He's been the Clarksville representative um, for about four years, two terms. uh, And he won easily with 10 percentage points in the last election. But that was before Republicans redrew all the lines earlier this year. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. he decided he wouldn't run again. And in his place, that leaves uh, Democrat Ronnie Glynn, a black retired Army veteran and business owner, and then uh, Republican Tommy Vallejos, who's a Latino retired Army veteran, veteran and a pastor and a former Montgomery County commissioner. So Glenn is the Democrat. He's outraised Vallejos by about 20 grand, but they're pretty evenly matched headed into the final stretch here. Um, and I think, you know, the folks I spoke to say this is really the only race that is a true toss-up, and we don't have any polling right now to indicate which way it may go.
1: Sounds exciting. All right, Chaz, you've been taking a look at the open seat south of Nashville in Williamson County. That's House District 63, which has been held by former House Speaker Glenn Cassida. Do you think Republicans are going to hold on to that?
2: Yeah, I, I do think that's more likely than not, that the, the, the Republicans are going to hold on to that seat. Uh, it's an interesting seat because this is one that Democrats have been targeting for many, many, many years, uh, in part because of Glenn Cassida. And they really haven't yet shown that they can be competitive there yet. Um, so Cassidy's retirement, I would say, probably makes it an even safer seat for Republicans. Um, he is leaving after a wave of scandals, uh, some of which date back to 2019 when he was the House Speaker. And uh, you know, in 2020, which was a generally a good year of, for Democrats, Cassidy won by nearly 30 percentage points. I and mean, mm. that's despite the uh, the scandals that were around him. So I don't think that redistricting has really changed the contours much at all, not, certainly not enough to, to, to be in the favor of Democrats. Uh, the Republicans did nominate a relatively moder- moderate candidate in uh, businessman Jake McCalman, there was a firebrand, uh, Lori Cardoza-Moore, who might have been um, a, a little bit easier for Democrats to run about against. But with McCalman there, um, I think that it's probably more likely than not Republicans hold on to it. I will say the one X factor is Nolansville, which has added a lot of people over the last decade. You never really know how newcomers are going to vote, and that's a, that's a, becoming an increasingly important part of that district. But given how far out of reach this district has seemed to be for Democrats, um, I don't think that uh, Keisha Davis, who is the Democratic nominee, it doesn't seem very likely that she's going to win that
1: one all right so let's talk about the senate a little there's an open seat just outside of memphis where another scandal-tinged Republican is leaving. That's Senate District 31 in Shelby County. Chaz, what's going on there?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, that Republican is Brian Kelsey, who is uh, one of the better known and more ambitious Republicans in the state legislature over the last two decades. And uh, he is leaving amid uh, charges of campaign finance violations. Those stem uh, from his failed run for Congress back about six years ago. And, uh, you know, this is a very, very close race the last time this seat came up four years ago. uh, The Democrat very nearly Flipped this seat, came within a few percentage points of beating Kelsey, um, you know, but there has been some redistricting there that I think makes this a little bit safer for Republicans. Um, they've added some cons- some of the more conservative eastern parts of Shelby County to the district. And uh, the GOP candidate, his name is Brent Taylor. He's served in elected office before, so he's got a track record of winning elections and has a lot less baggage than Kelsey. So, you know, the Democratic nominee, uh, her name is Ruby uh, Powell-Dennis. She thinks it's still flippable, but we'll have to see.
1: In every election season, there's something totally unexpected that happens. And this year, there's a candidate who has died while voting has been taking place. That's Barbara Cooper of Memphis. Julia, what's happening? What's going to happen there?
0: Yeah, so um, Representative Cooper died uh, at the age of 93, just a week or two ago, um, and ballots have already gone out with her name on it. She served in the legislature for 26 years and was Tennessee's oldest serving uh, lawmaker, so she Mm. set some records there, but had been in declining health. So the way it works in Tennessee is uh, if she ends up winning, there is an independent candidate on the ballot, and I'm blanking on the name, and I'm sorry about that, but... um, if the, if she still wins over the independent candidate on the ballot, they'll hold a special election. Um, and then that will uh, allow the, the voters uh, in Shelby County to elect a new representative. And I think that could be interesting because um, Cooper is a more traditional Democrat or wasn't more traditional Democrat, uh, you know, a champion of black Tennesseans. So it'll be interesting to see if we get a um, more progressive Democrat out of that um, district or if uh, we see another kind of, Cooper-esque politician take her place.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, okay, let's do a quick lightning round. You guys cool? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Love it. All right. So tell us about the House District 59 race. That's Caleb Hemmer versus Michelle Foreman?
0: Yes, this is in Antioch, which is in southern uh, Davidson County. Republicans were hoping for a pickup here, uh, but Hemmer right now has outraised Foreman almost three to one. Mm. So it'll be a, a big task for uh, them to pick that one up.
1: All right. District, Senate District 19, Charlene Oliver versus Pime Hernandez. Chess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say that Charlene Oliver has the clear advantage here. Um, she beat out two well-known Metro Council members uh, in the primary. And uh, actually, the number of votes cast, it was 12 to 1 in favor of Democrats in the uh, primary. Of course, that was a competitive race, so maybe some people were crossing over, but it's probably a pretty good indication Democrats are pretty strong there. And this has been a safely Democratic district for a long time. It basically stretches from North Nashville down into the Antioch area. Um, Germantown has come out of it, but they've added some portions of, of southeastern Davidson County. Don't think that really changes the dynamics a whole lot.
1: All right, we flipped the coin before we started, and, Julio, you won, so you <laughs> get to take the last question. Yes. After the election is over, what's the story you're going to be watching heading into the legislative session next year.
0: Okay, two things, and this allows me to get on my soapbox as well. Um, The first is that these uh, maps that were redrawn by Republicans were challenged by voters in court earlier this year. The Tennessee Supreme Court intervened and allowed the maps to take effect this cycle, but that doesn't mean the challenges have gone away. It just means that it's going to take a little bit more time for courts to to decide about the constitutionality, about some of the changes that Republicans made to these districts. So I'll be looking to see if any of these lines uh, get tweaked in the near future. The second thing is that there are more than 6,000 state lawmakers on the ballot across the country this year. Mm. Um, Many of uh, Republicans on the ballot are backing the big lie that uh, Trump uh, won the 2020 election, uh, which is super concerning because, as you know, our state legislature uh, certifies our presidential uh, election and Mm -hmm. sends those uh, elector electoral college voters to Congress, um, so I'll be seeing. Uh, I think I really do want to see like how many Republicans on the ballot um, in Tennessee back the big lie and what that could mean for everything from deciding voting rights to abortion rights, to guns, to education. Tommy Vallejos, you know, the candidate we just talked about um, in Clarksville is one of those that has cast doubt uh, and and given credence to some of these election conspiracy theories. So um, it's a really important time. Congress is deadlocked. State legislatures have more power. So it is time to get out and vote.
1: That was WPLN <laughs> editor Julia Ritchie and Chaz Sisk. Thanks both to, thanks to both of you for being here. You can find their reporting at WPLN.org. And while you're there, check out all of our election coverage, including our explanations of the four constitutional amendments on the ballot this year. And, you know, tune in next Tuesday for election coverage throughout the day. It's special coverage from WPLN and NPR after the polls close. That starts at 7 p.m. on 90.3 WPLN News. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn about Dia de los Muertos, the symbols, traditions, and significance of celebrating the Day of the Dead. Do you celebrate Dia de los Muertos? Tweet us at This is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil e. Colonna, and this is Nashville. A big part of Dia de los Muertos is the altar. It's also called an ofrenda. Each altar has multiple levels, and it's covered with photographs, food, water, and flower petals. It's a tradition that is time in its time-honored elements. It also has lots of room for personal touches. The more color and personality, the better. Yesterday, Nashville public school teacher Anne Moctezuma spent part of the afternoon putting in some finishing touches on the altar in her home.
3: Right now, my altar has three levels, which represents um, earth, uh, the heavens, and the underworld. And right now, I have put uh, the marigolds in an arch form, uh, which represents the door that will open tonight, 12, and the souls will come. Um, and so I have real marigolds here that I have uh, from my garden and the smell it, just, it'll, it attracts the souls and I just picked them up and now my hands really really smell like it uh, so I'm gonna start with my photos and um, so I have my tia which is my aunt tia Marilu. and then I have my friend Naomi, I have Mi Abuelo, este, and I have Mi Amiga Mary, who used I used to work with at school. She was a teacher with me. So these are my four personas that my altar is for. And I have, uh, oh, we represent a lot of the calacas, the calaveras, in our altar because. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how poor you are, when we all die, we all look like skeletons. We also believe that um, those souls that are coming to visit us have gotten, or have taken this long, long journey. So they will be thirsty. And so you always have to put in your dad a glass of water for them, siempre. So that's what we're gonna do now. Okay. Uh, I also have some galletas, see, that no need to eat. A lot of snacks, and she with us. And I'm um, going to have now some decorations to add to our altar, and we do use pumpkins. So I got some small pumpkins to add to our dad, to add that orange color. And then I have this bell case, este... Mm. That is part of la familia uh, that's been passed down. So when I moved here, uh, mi abuela actually gave it to me so I could have it and remember her. So I'm going to put it in my altar f- to este for my abuelo to know that I still have it and I'm still using it. Mm.
1: To help us learn more about the altar and Dia de los Muertos traditions, I'd like to welcome my first guests. Jessica Marquez-Munoz is the Manager of Advocacy and Communications at Conexion Americas. She is joined by Myra Yu, Executive Director at Casa de la Cultura Latinoamericana. Jessica, Myra, thank you both so much for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville.
4: Thank you so much for having us here. Thank you very much. It's Eh,
1: a pleasure. Feliz Dia de los Muertos a ustedes.
4: Muchas gracias.
1: Ah, de nada, de nada. Okay, so we just heard some of the process of preparing an altar or ofrenda. Now, Jessica, what are some of the other elements that go into making an altar to honor the dead?
4: Absolutely. So you want to make sure that you represent all four elements in your altar. Um, You want to have fire, which would be like the candles that you place on the altar and you light them up. You have water, as uh, we just heard, for quenching their thirst and to helping them return on their journey back. And earth, which is the flowers, the pan de muerto, and air. So you have incense in it and you can see the way that the incense burns and you have the papel picado so that when it waves through, it's the coming of the souls, right? Okay. there is a long process. It starts from the 28th going forward. Um, on the 28th, you light the very first candle. And that candle is placed to receive the souls that are animas solas, we call them, um, which are those who are really don't have anyone to remember them by. And we also place a, um, a flower, a white flower on the altar. Mm-hmm. So you designate the spot and you begin by
1: doing that. That's the first day? Yes. Okay. What's day two?
4: (laughs) Day two is on the 29th. You place a second candle and you light it and you place a glass of water and that's dedicated to those who died and have been forgotten. So it's a little bit different. The first day is people that there's nobody left for them and then the second day is those who have been forgotten. What about three? <laughs> Going on to the third day, yeah. you light another candle. So you light the third candle and you place a second glass of water. And additionally to that, you place a piece of white bread. And that's dedicated for those who died before eating any food. So like those who died in an accident or had a stroke or unexpected death.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's really heavy. Now, Mara, you brought some pan del muerto. You yes. you brought some into the studio today. Can you like describe the significance of it?
5: Well, the the Pan de Muerto is a very uh, significant. Is, is very important for all of us because that means um, the earth, as, as Jessica was saying, but also means the um, we are offering this. Uh, if you notice, in the Pan de Muerto, we have four kind of bones, mm. uh-huh. but um, that means and. Um, we're offering that to the loved ones and they come to smell it. And also, well, the souls, it's for the souls and, and not only for our loved ones, as Jessica was saying. We're offering this to everybody who died with an um, unexpected death and people who haven't been identified. So, and the belief is to, for all of us, is to remember them even though we didn't meet them before mm-hmm. but we we think about everybody so they can be part of the, that day of coming back because the belief is the you know is when the the border between the spirit world and the real world dissolves and this is the period where both worlds you know the the, the earth we as a human and physical um, mix with the spiritual. Mm-hmm. No. environment, and um yeah, we're
4: offering that uh, I don't know, Jessica, would you like to add something about the bread? uh no, I think I think you got it uh, pretty well uh, it's it's very much a way to to remember and honor everybody and to honor their journey, not only in this life but in the life beyond, and also it's very um. Unique because this pan de
5: muerto is only for this season of the year. Okay. You don't find it anywhere else uh, through the year, but it's just for this occasions for this uh, November, uh, um, October the 28th until the November the 2nd. And you can have them with um, sesame oil, uh, um, seeds, as well as sugar. And, well, people add different other uh, condiments like um, cashews or um, walnuts and Sugar or Mm. colors, but usually it's um, plain and it's not too sweet, where it's very, very symbolical for all of us. And um, that represents the day of the dead.
1: It looks absolutely gorgeous, everyone. It's got, it's golden, it's oval shaped, it's got sesame seeds. I can't wait to dig in. But, you know, let me ask, why is it important to offer food to your ancestors, particularly foods that they enjoyed while they were here?
5: Well, um, because we they were our loved ones right we want to remember them so in order for that and they uh, and and for them to come back and in, in a spirit way uh we have the believers that we have to place the things that they used to like for instance in, um an example for my dad he used to smoke right mm-hmm. it was bad but he used to smoke certain uh, brand of cigarettes, so I place that. He he likes to eat um, uh, Korean food, and well, I place something like rice and certain other um, um, interests there. Um, so, and then for him, in order to come back, he's gonna smell that. Food, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have told me that after the food is been there, you know, for the for this season or for this specific days, um, a lot of them eat them, eat that food okay. when it's when it's edible. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes when they eat that food, the food doesn't taste; it doesn't has a taste. Mm. So the belief is that they came back in a spiritual. Uh, way and they just smell. Of course, when I say oh, they come back. No, they, you won't see the bite on the on the bread or the rice or the empanadas. No, you're gonna feel that um, if you taste the food, it doesn't has any taste. Mm-hmm. It's just plain food, and so that means then they came back to visit you, being with you, and take that um, the smell of the
1: food they used to like. Okay, I understand that. My parents taught us um, to make altars for our ancestors. And so on my grandparents' birthdays, for instance, my my maternal grandmother really enjoyed Manischewitz wine. So I have a little glass of wine on her birthday. Another one enjoyed smoking. So on my Aunt Kay's birthday, I would give her a pack of Newports because that's what <laughs> I remember her smoking when she grew up. Now, yeah, Jessica, you know, we heard that the altars, that they have different levels. How many levels do altars typically have, and why is that significant?
4: So there can be different levels. Usually you'll see levels of 3, 5, or 7 for the larger ones. Um, and as we heard earlier, the th- 3 levels is the earth, the sky or the heavens and the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the other ones more so significant um, for the either the amount of time it takes to travel through the underworld or the the afterlife or the different levels of the afterlife
1: as okay. well. Okay. Now you you went over some of the days mm-hmm. that of Dia de los muertos. Which day is today?
4: Today is All Saints Day. Okay. And so that is uh, specifically for those who passed away as children or unborn, um, things like that. Um, And so it's also common to place like rattles or like a baby blanket or like a bib or their favorite toy um, on the altar. For, for these individuals.
1: If if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil lake Colona. We're talking this hour about the traditions and practice of Dia de los Muertos, or the Day of the Dead, with Jessica Marquez-Munoz and Myra Yu. Now, okay, so I want to ask, you know, you both grew up celebrating Dia de los Muertos. Myra, how did you celebrate when you were young?
5: Well, I celebrated... Um, making my our own altar, helping my granny, my mom to create and make the big altar with flowers, with candles. It was very exciting because it's colorful. It's a celebration. It's not just, the, oh, we're, we're gonna celebrate and they are dead. And cry. Now, for us, I think for all of Mexicans and people from who celebrate the Dia de Muertos, it's a celebration of life. That mm-hmm. is the way for us to celebrate it. And then I place, um, I enjoy playing with the little calaveras, calaveritas, the sugar skulls with colorful um, um, flowers. And also oh, in Mexico, you find a lot of the kind of toys, but they are made with um, sugar. Mm-hmm. And colorful, so you can, you could play with them, and then you could eat them. If not, well, we used to pack them back for the next year. But the next year, we were trying to buy other different um, toys, sugar toys, as well as um, different calaveritas, and then trying to make my own calaverita with uh, paper uh, mache and um, uh, drawings, um, and well, also trying to think who else was going to be added. Into mm-hmm. the altar because, well, we didn't like to have somebody leaving you, leaving us. But um, we were just thinking, okay, who else is going to be in the altar? Because we placed the pictures of our loved ones, and we were trying to uh, to choose the best one.
2: Mm-hmm. So we
5: wanted to show everybody who came to the house who um, was um, um, w- how we were making the altar and the home was. Um,
4: Honor
1: okay. that altar. Okay, <laughs> Jessica, what are your memories about celebrating as you were growing up?
4: Oh my God, um, we would visit the the cemeteries, right? Um, and we would place specific foods there. We would play mariachi music. We'd hire a mariachi, or you know, like somebody that we knew that could play music, and we'd sing their favorite songs to them. We'd um, sometimes it would be like playing placing the flor de sempasuchil. Uh, which there's a beautiful legend attached to that. Um, we'd place it near their graves, and then we'd place it on the way home, um, on the altar. Um, And it's the the scent of it is so powerful. Mm. Um, uh, and of course, uh, as as uh, as uh, Mida was saying earlier, we would tell the stories of our our loved ones who have passed away. And it was very beautiful because you got to learn about people that you might have never even met. Mm-hmm. And and that that to me was one of the, the most beautiful parts of it.
1: You mentioned the Flor Sempasochile. Can you talk more about the legend behind that?
4: Yes. So um, the legend has it that there was two children that met as kids right and they they grew up the beautiful friendship and then they fell in love and they went up to this um, specific hill that had this beautiful rays of sunshine and it was believed that that's where the sun god Donatiu lived. Um, the lovers names were Huitzilin and Xochil, mm-hmm. and so they asked the sun god to bless their love and they were so pure that the sun god did. Um, unfortunately, one day, Huitzilin had to go to defend the village and he died in battle. And Sochil was so distraught and so sad, she asked the sun god to join her, to let her be with her love forever. Mm-hmm. And so a ray, a golden ray, like shone upon her and she turned into this bud of a flower. And the bud never opened for a long time until a colibri or hummingbird okay. landed upon it. And so the colibri, the hummingbird, was attracted by the beautiful smell. And when he landed on the on the bud, the flower opened up. And so the hummingbird is Huitzilin, who he came back as a hummingbird. Mm. And it's said that so long as hummingbirds and sempasuchis are on earth, their love will last forever.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. You know, like, Myra, what role do stories play at this time of year?
5: Uh, well, they are very important, the stories, because the mission of Casa de la Cultura is to promote, rescue, and transmit the traditions, the customs of Latin American countries. So we want to share what we learn, and we want to transmit that through the new gener- generations. Some kids have already born here, but they don't—they don't know anything. So we want to share and keep that tradition, remember them, reminding them then they, where they are coming from, or their ancestors or uh, parents, so they can continue growing. So it's important for us to share our experiences and these stories so other people can learn as well not only our children uh, uh, um, among the latino community but it's for everybody so who would like to also be more um interested in learning this uh, type of traditions and customs so um this tradition can keep moving and keep growing and be always remembered
1: Mm -hmm. it sounds like this entire celebration helps you accept death, not only in loved ones, but potentially with yourself as well in this time of remembrance of your ancestors. I wonder who you all will be remembering this year, Jessica?
4: Oh, well, I definitely, my maternal grandparents who both have passed away, and I recently lost um, my great uncle. Um, My cousins, I have four four cousins who have Um, moved on, and my paternal grandfather. Mm. And so they're always on my ofrenda, um, and they are always great
1: stories attached. Yeah. What's one of the real quick amazing ones?
4: (laughs) So my great uncle loves to eat chile, and he will just bite into it. He was also a drinker, (laughs) and (laughs) he was at the bar, and he was just popping the, the chiles, like mm-hmm. normal, like they were candy. And they say that this man stumbled in and he was clearly intoxicated. And he's like, why are you pretending you're eating chile? That that must be candy. And my great uncle was like, no, no, this is really spicy. They're called chiles piquines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the gentleman was like, give me one of those. And they said that the chile was so strong, he lost his entire drunkenness.
1: Wow, it made him sober.
4: It sobered him up wow. absolutely. Wow. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's that's one of my favorite stories from my great uncle. <laughs> nice.
1: Uh, Mara, Myra. who will you be remembering?
5: Well, I'll be remembering my parents, my grand my, my great-grandparents and I'll be remembering all the people really uh, who passed away because due to due COVID. Mm. And but specifically I'll be remember um You know, a lot of love and celebration. Um, My mom, uh, she was here uh, in 2020 because I had a a, a, a surgical procedure. And she was telling me all the time, Mara, you never tell me then you're going to have something going on in your life medically. But this time I'm going to go. She was 82 years old, Mm -hmm. 83. And and she came. But the day of the, the surgery was the lockdown. And she was here two days before of that and we were scared at the beginning but then uh, for me it was very significant um, to share with her with her not only three weeks that, that was the plan for her to be here she she came um, and stay with me for three months mm. so it was very um, emotional for me and and you know I enjoyed the time that I couldn't be with her all these years, and after that she went back finally to Mexico. She was fine and everything, but uh, and I was working from home. But uh, on December third, uh, I received um, a call. Well, I knew she was kind of sick, and she passed away. Mm-hmm. So it was something different. It was different because it was COVID, and also I couldn't go to see her down there in Mexico, yeah. and it was hard. So I this time I could be I was able to understand other people who were the same in the same boat Mm -hmm. and couldn't go to their countries to say goodbye but um, I spent three months with my mother and they were the most um, wonderful months that I could spend with her for all the time that I lost before or missed um, being with her but I remember her with a lot of love and happiness Uh
1: Myra Yu is executive director of Casa de la Cultura Latinoamericana. She was joined by Jessica Marquez Munoz, manager of advocacy and communications at Conexion Americas. Thanks both to you. Thanks to both of you for being here. Really appreciate it. And Feliz Día de los Muertos.
5: Muchas gracias Gracias
1: We have to take a short break When we come back We'll continue our conversation About Dia de los Muertos Join in by tweeting us At This is Nashville We'll be right back Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today, we are learning about the traditions and celebrations of Dia de los Muertos, or the Day of the Dead. People all over the world are coming together to honor their ancestors and deceased loved ones. Over the weekend, there was a huge celebration at Cheekwood Botanical Gardens. My next guests have helped that event to grow to become one of the biggest around. Jose Vera González is a Mexican-American artist who has been part of the Día de los Muertos celebration in Cheekwood for 16 years. Susie Vera is also with us. She's married to Joe and works closely with him on the Día de los Muertos celebrations. Welcome to you both.
6: Hello there. Hi, how are you? Good morning. What's good afternoon already? Yes. We're so glad to be here. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you.
7: Buenos dias a todos. Para mí es un orgullo estar aquí con ustedes. Bueno, pues, Feliz Día de los Muertos y vamos a celebrar hoy.
1: Gracias, gracias. Now, joining us, also joining us, is Yuri Kunza. Kunza. She's president and CEO of the Nashville Area Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Yuri, thanks for being here. Hey, good morning, everybody. Now, buenos um, días de todos. Buenos días. now, you know, Feliz Día de los Muertos to you all. Now, OK, heads up, listeners. Susie is going to translate for Jose during this part of the show. Now, the celebration at Cheekwood is the biggest in the region. Jose, tell me, what is it like to celebrate Día de los Muertos there?
6: Dice que quiere que le digas que es en Cheekwood celebrar el Día de los Muertos.
7: En Cheekwood celebrar el Día de los Muertos... Para mi y para la mayoría de la gente que durante todos estos años ha trabajado es muy importante para toda la comunidad, toda la sociedad ya que sembramos la tradición acá en el extranjero.
6: Okay. He says that uh celebrating Día of the Dead, uh Día de los Muertos en Chico is very important to him because uh he's being part of uh, a community or he's teaching the community and what is Day of the Dead. So they're helping them. I mean, he's helping the Diablos Muertos grow.
1: Okay, now, people, I just want to let listeners know, people often come to the show dressed to the nines and looking very good, but Jose looks particularly sharp. Can you please describe that beautiful, beautiful jacket you're wearing?
6: Dice que realmente la gente que viene aquí viene vestidos muy bien, pero dice, pero que hoy tú te ves brillante. Que si puedes explicar un poquito de lo que tú te estás poniendo el día de hoy.
7: Porto un saco muy importante para mí es un un saco que hizo el gran diseñador y leyenda viva que es Manuel Cuevas. He says he's wearing
6: a he's wearing a coat uh, very important to him. This uh, coat has a lot of meaning and it was made by the great legend, living legend uh, Manuel Cuevas.
7: Mhm. Sí, trata sobre la festividad del día de los muertos, las artes mexicanas, la música y la fiesta.
6: And and as you can see, it's it tells a little bit about day of the dead the arts and the culture of, uh, of
7: Mexico the Mexican culture me padrino and
6: this was a present that uh manuel gave him about 5 years ago on his birthday which now is it's our godfather mm. when we got married he was our godfather oh that's beautiful mm-hmm.
1: now I understand that you made a very large altar for this year's celebration. Can you tell me about that?
6: Dice que el este tiene entendido de que hiciste un altar muy grande este año que quiere que le hagas un poquito de eso.
1: Sí,
7: el altar, el tapete, que es con arroz. He
6: says that the altar, uh, the main thing, it, it, we want to state it out, that the carpet, there looks like a carpet, it's made with tinted
7: rice. Son veinte pies de largo.
6: And it's uh, 20 feet long, around 20 feet long.
7: Mm-hmm. Y de altura, son como 12 pies.
6: And uh, I would say, so about height, about 12 feet. Mm-hmm. So,
1: mm-hmm. 12 by 20 feet, all made of rice.
6: The carpet, it's uh, made of rice, but then you got the levels, and then you got the design on the back. He did a mural. So the mural, he painted it on canvas, a big canvas. I will say the canvas is about 10 feet.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Susie, what's the reaction like when you see people look at Jose's altar? What, how are they reacting?
6: I see mainly the people when they go and they see it, they they surprise. It, it's seeing mm, his altars or his work of art. It's it just shocking and to think on how someone has that uh, idea on his head. How does he come up with the uh, colors, the flowers, or everything? Mm-hmm. But it's just on his head. So it it is very, very, very interesting to
7: look at his uh, work. la, la técnica. Esa fue creada por nosotros, por la he says that the technique he made up
6: him and um, Maestra Arcelia. she's a teacher at USN University so both of them they came up with this idea they were doing a couple of tries usually the carpet it, it's, it does with um other materials, but not rice. Mm. So they invented the tinted rice wow. 16 years ago. Okay. And, and it was a success, and now they just keep doing it.
1: Now, you already, how long have you been going to the celebration at Cheekwood? Well, it's been, it's been many years now.
8: Um, I remember first being involved, uh, I'm sure over a decade ago. Um, I was part of the, one of the, First advisories, uh, advisory uh, groups or, or committees for the Día de los Muertos
1: at Chiquit. What was it and, like? What was uh, it like in those early days? Well, it was as as, as good and as um, um,
8: different for those who are not familiar with. It. And uh, despite the fact that I am not from Mexico, uh, the concept of remembering—I uh, I was born in Peru. Uh, it was very familiar to me uh, as we celebrate uh, uh all saints
1: day now today actually it's today happy all saints day to you now you know what about dia de los muertos how does that resonate with t- with the traditions that you grew up with in peru um it's
8: it, it, it takes time to to it, it's important to learn about that so i think you guys have done a great job complimenting complimenting what happened at Chico in the last few days uh, by explaining what it means. Uh, In particular, I think the Dia de los Muertos celebrated in in Mexico, the way it is, um, it's very powerful. And of course, we can relate to remembering those who are no longer with us, um, which is a tradition that... uh, the uh, church, in this case, the Catholic church, has, has been able to, to keep alive and coincides um, November 1st, uh, in which people also um, observe the second by visiting uh, uh, the sites where their uh, relatives are buried. And uh, depending on where you are, uh, where you're from in Latin America, uh, but I think uh, it may be a little different but I think in essence is uh taking advantage of that opportunity to to connect with those who are no longer with us in my case I only have one family member who has passed so far which mm-hmm. was uh, my grandmother and I remember her um, um making sure that we uh, do uh observe and we go to church that day and there were a few things that are very similar uh, like the sweet bread and the offerings and 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 few things that coincide but I think I can understand now better uh, how much it means and I have great appreciation for that I hope this is not all all lost because we this is a generation that uh, I think we there are a lot of information and different ways in which people um, are, um, sharing how they do things. And I think we get distracted and we get, uh, we get to Mm. forget sometimes easy to forget nowadays.
1: Mm -hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Caliola Colonna. We're talking this hour about celebrating Dia de los Muertos locally with Jose Vera Gonzalez, Susie Vera and Yuri Kunza. Now, Jose, you celebrated in Mexico. What what does the event at Cheekwood? How does that compare to what you grew up with in Mexico?
6: Mm-hmm. He says he has a phrase that he always um, says everywhere
7: he goes. He's like Mexico saw him.
6: Uh, born or he was, he was born in Mexico but the United States has seen him grow. Mm.
7: Entonces es similar ah uh, porque ha crecido la festividad acá, la hemos sembrado con mucho esfuerzo. La campo, la comparación que puedo hacer pues sí es grande en, en cuestiones eh, culturales, históricas.
6: ¿Cuál sería la diferencia?
7: Uh, en materiales auténticos, como la flor de cempasúchil que es una de la elementos más importantes en la celebración del Dia de los Muertos.
6: He says, uh the difference I guess it will be it's very similar, um, the altar, but everything that they put on the altars here, it's a lot of it it's not real. Uh, mm. especially the floor of Sepasuchi, it's really hard to get here in the United States. Also uh, in Mexico we put authentic food like the uh-huh. preference of the food of our loved ones that have passed away, like tamales, mole, atole, everything, candles. Uh-huh. I mean, we light up the candles. A chick would, because of safety reasons, we're not able to put we'll cut on fire if we do so many, uh-huh. because we put a lot of candles, uh-huh. lots and lots of candles, and here we were not able to do so.
7: También, por ejemplo, se hacen muchos desfiles en diferentes pueblos mágicos de México. Es lo que falta aquí.
6: Oh, and he also says there's a lot of uh, parades, People dress up as uh, Catrinas or in, in a lot of the little magic towns in Mexico. And that's something that he thinks mm. that we need to do here.
1: When I lived in Albuquerque, I mm-hmm. would go to Dia, Dia de los Muertos uh, celebrations and they would have long, mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. parades of a lot of people. Exactly.
6: He says one day we have to make it. So that's something <laughs> in a little gold list that we want to do definitely do a parade of Dia de los Muertos here in Nashville. That would be awesome.
1: That would be really awesome. Now, Susie, I understand you grew up in Mexico, and Dia de los Muertos, it was an important part of your childhood. Did you keep that tradition as you moved to the United States?
6: You know what? No, I did not. And I guess because being here, I I grew up... uh, in Chicago, North Side, mm-hmm. so it's very different. Uh, I think we kept it for a couple of years, but then throughout the years, I just lost it. But I have, um, for me, growing up in Mexico, and doing as I mentioned, I was, I think, I was about seven years old, and my grandmother used to make me. Um, Do uh, paper flowers, different colors, so that we can take to our grandfather. And we used to make mole. But see, I was raised out in the country, no electricity, no water. So everything was made by hand. Mm -hmm. We used to use a mocajete. We used to use a a metate to make everything. So very, I would say, um, authentic Mexican. Um, For me, it was just, you know, normal. But now that I'm here in the United States and I'm coming back, now that he's teaching me, it's like everything is coming back. And that makes me feel so happy. And so so now that I've been with him, this is our third year being together. We do our altars. Then we start the celebration. I mean, we, I started everything again. So I love it because our kids that way, we're teaching them. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we see a lot of people now, kids, uh, learning about the los Muertos, and where I had a lady that came and asked me, she's like, this is my first time here. Can you teach me? Can you tell me what is the Dia de los Muertos? What is the, the skull? What is the meaning? And for me to be able to tell them that, that was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that I lost this. And now I got it back.
1: Mm-hmm. So I feel very proud. That's beautiful. Now, Yuri, as... As Dia de los Muertos, as it's become more popular here, and the Cheekwood celebration has gotten bigger and bigger, how do you see the significance of the holiday here in Nashville? Well, I hope people can relate to that uh, if they
8: get to know what it is. That's why I think this program I hope uh, gets to be available uh, to uh, come back and listen to, because it can let us understand better what it means. Um, sometimes... Um, the format, perhaps as a festival in a way, there's music, uh, food vendors, all the type of vendors, um, some art and some altars, and there is not enough time really to understand what this whole whole thing means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I consider that to be uh, a great exercise in, in in connecting or reconnecting to those who were very important in our lives. Uh, I think the the, the what we are now has to do a lot with the people that were around us, and for many, uh, we have significant family members who shape, uh, help us understand the world, perhaps uh, shape us, and uh, were uh, many times role models for us. So I I hope this is something that gains more more popularity, more um, more um, support. Uh, but I also consider the component of making people aware of the meaning uh, is going to be helpful, mm-hmm. especially children, right? When we grow up, I was growing up and seeing my, my grandmother or family members doing things. Um, I didn't know exactly why. I had to uh, respect that, but I didn't know the meaning and
1: until I grew up a little more to understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, Jose, I've got just about a minute left. How deep is your connection to your ancestors during this time of year?
6: Dice que tiene un minuto nada más. Dice que quiere saber que, que tan profundo o tiene el significado del día de los muertos y que tan fuerte es la conexión con tus ancestros.
7: La profundidad es tan fuerte que todo lo hacemos con el corazón y el alma para recordar a nuestros seres que ellos que ya se fueron. He says, it,
6: it, it's the meaning, it, it's very um, important for him because everything he does, he does it with his soul, with it, with his heart.
7: Las memorias se quedan en el alma.
6: And the memories, they stay in our souls.
7: Y nunca mueren.
6: And they'll never die. Mm.
7: Porque sí. México es grande.
6: Because Mexico, it's great.
7: Y? Porque está declarada.
6: Because it's declared. La,
7: Patrimonio tangible de la Humanidad
6: oh, That word, I need to learn that one in English yeah, so Unesco, they declare um, this festivity uh, Judy, can you help me on that one?
8: Yeah, well that's an important thing I think it was declared as a, a significant celebration That
1: belongs to, uh, to humanity as a whole mm, Mueve
7: yeah. corazones esta fiesta
6: it
1: moves hearts. Mm-hmm. Declared mm-hmm. for humanity mm-hmm. as a whole. That is absolutely beautiful. That is artist Jose Vera Gonzalez joined by his wife Susie Vera. They were also joined by Yuri Kunza from the Nashville Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. I want to thank all of you thank for you. being here. Muchos, mucho gracias. Gracias. Thank you. Feliz
7: Día de los Muertos.
1: Thank you. Gracias. Gracias. We wanna thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we'll explore the construct of whiteness. How did it develop here in Tennessee? This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tadope. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover, and the masterminds behind our theme music, L'Aranj and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Kim Hugo, Nathleen Levine, Alexis Marshall, and and Philip McGowan. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Acolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.